Hey, this morning we're going to continue our study of 2 Thessalonians. This morning we're going to be in verses uh, 5 through 7 in chapter 1. But we're going to start by reading uh, 5 through 10 because that really kind of creates this section that we're going to take in, in two weeks and evaluate over the course of two weeks. And so you're going to want to make your way to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, verses 5 through 7. If you don't have a Bible, don't own one, you should find one in the back of the pew in front of you. We'd love for that to be a gift from us to you. If you're unfamiliar with how to use the Bible, you can find a table of contents at the front that's going to let you know where to locate the book of 2 Thessalonians. And then as we make our way through different verses and whatnot, you may want to write those down. Uh, And then as we are talking about chapters and verses, just know that the large numbers are chapters and the small numbers are verses. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Hey, would you read with me? Let's look at verses 5 through 10. Paul writes and says, This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all those who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. Would you pray with me? God, over these next couple of weeks, we're going to look at Paul's words that are to those of us who have put our faith and confidence and trust in Jesus. They are a safe haven for our hope. They are a call to patiently endure suffering. And God, to those of us who believe, they're also this word to be expansive in our extension of the gospel. They are a key to us that those who inflict harm on us today have harm coming to them in the future at the return of Jesus. And so God, I pray that our hearts would be those moving towards a love of enemy and not a hatred. I pray that our hearts would be quickened desiring desperately to communicate the gospel to all those who do not know you because of what awaits those who do not place their faith and trust in Jesus. God, I pray that in the meantime, that in our suffering, that we would endure, not because it doesn't hurt, not because it's just going to be a short time and we can stand anything for a moment, because, but because we have placed our hope so fully, so completely, at the second coming of Jesus. So in that, we look to our relief. In that, we look to our comfort. And God, I pray that in that, we would rejoice, even though Now, for a short while, we endure pain, affliction, and suffering. God, this morning, we ask that you would be with the other 
bodies of believers, the other churches of our community, that you would do such an amazing work in them this morning, that as men and women leave their churches all across Hunt County, that they would say, man, we encountered the Holy Spirit this morning. He did something radically new and different in us, that he has changed, that he has transformed our lives, that he has renewed our vision. God, we want to see revival come to this community. We want to see it lived out in the lives of the people that name the name of Jesus. And God, we want to do that together along with our brothers and sisters in Christ here in this community. And so we pray for them. We pray for those who are suffering. Even here in this body this morning, some of us walked in heavy laden. God, we have emotional and physical distress. So would you bind up our wounds? Would you be with us? Would you guide us? Would you give to us comfort in the midst of our affliction? God, we ask and submit these things to you. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Hey, flip over to John 9. Let's, let's start there. If you just want to make your way over to John 9. John 9, Jesus He's taking the disciples, and everything about Jesus' ministry is headed to the cross. Everything about his ministry and where he's going with singular focus and purpose, he heads to the cross, and as he does so, he is equipping and training his disciples to understand where he's going and what he's going to do. Because he doesn't want the guys to be caught off guard. He wants them to be alert and aware so that when he dies, they don't lose all hope. And along the way, we get some keen insight, we get some windows into an understanding that is so pervasive within our day-to-day life that it's almost contrary to fact. And we see one such example in John 9. Jesus is walking along, it says, uh, he passed by a blind man from birth, his disciples turned to him and they say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? You see, it just made sense in their mind that if something bad is happening to this guy, like someone is responsible someone's to blame so they put it to jesus just really simply hey listen like it's either a or b we're not really sure we haven't been given that discernment is is it jim bob or is it jim bob senior like who is it who did it is it jim bob or is it jim bob senior it's got to be one of the two who did this who's responsible why is this man blind look at what jesus says he says it wasn't this man's sin it wasn't that his parents sin but it's that, that the works of god might be displayed in him And you'll remember from John 9 that Jesus goes on to heal that man of his blindness. Listen, I don't don't know where you are. And maybe you have people in your life, something like that. You wreck your car, you get a speeding ticket, you show up late to work, your boss says, hey, listen, this is three strikes, man, i got to let you go. And and, and people begin to come to you and say, have you begun to consider that maybe that there's just something in your life that you need to atone for? Like, and this is why the bad things are happening to you? This is why all these things are going wrong for you? It's because there's something in your life that you need to address? Y'all, they're asking the question. Who sinned, this man or his parents? Who sinned, this man or his parents? It's so incredibly important that we come to a right understanding of this, that, that God does not allow bad things to happen to his children as a punishment for sin. Sometimes a punishment for sin 
is a consequence. It's a natural consequence. So let me just take an example from my life this week. So Valerie and I had had this ongoing conversation about how best to uh, put this sunshade over our little makeshift pool in the backyard, okay? And so we're back there, and it is like redneck to the redneck. Like it's two by fours with a one. I mean, it's just like it is, if, if you, you know, it, we don't have to go there. I'm just channeling all my Louisiana roots when we put this thing together. So she's gone uh, like two days ago, and I get this thing that goes off in my head, be like, if this is redneck, this is like super redneck. So I'm going to go out there, and I've got this four-by-six post that's like 10 to 12 feet long, tall. It has a bend because we used it for a while as a crossbeam for a swing set that's no longer in existence, but that's a whole other story. And I kept it because that's what you do when you're a redneck. You keep scraps of wood. Never know when I'm going to need that. So, should have burned it. <laughs> so she's gone, and so the kids are swimming, hey, just glee and happy, and I'm out there, and I, and I take the post, and I stand it up in the corner, and it's all well and good, and I look down, and we have this fence, uh, presumably to keep the dog uh, in that we got rid of. Now it's to keep the armadillos out. And so I look down, and I think, like, this is where the armadillo's getting in. It's loose, and so what do I do? I take a little poultry staple, and I'm, I'm hitting that poultry staple, and y'all, what happens? Timber. No one yelled timber. Like, that's what, <laughs> yeah. And so this thing starts falling at the slowest pace alive, but I don't see it till it's right about here, and there's nothing I can do. So I scream like a little girl, eee! It bounces, and then it lands on my foot. My foot is like this big around now. Who sinned, this man or his parents? Y'all don't know my dad, but I'm going to go parents on this one. <laughs> so I'm, I'm suffering in the middle of this, and my foot is just swollen up like this, and hey dudes are about this, the, the loosest fitting shoe I could fit my foot in this morning. But it's so incredibly appropriate, because look at what Paul says. He says, this is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God. And we ask the question, what is the evidence? And we get this unbelievable answer. The evidence of the righteous judgment of God is that their lives were miserable. That they were suffering. Look at back in verse 4. He says, the evidence of the righteous judgment of God are the persecutions and afflictions that you are enduring. How do we like that? How do we hear that? How do we receive that? And, I, and I'm telling you, in the middle of these things, we don't enjoy this. Like, this is a hard sell for Christianity. Hey, friend, would you like to be a Christian? Let me sign you up for afflictions and persecutions. And you're like, what else you got? I'm, all of a sudden, I find myself interested in Amway. Like, what else is available for me? But it's the evidence of God. Flip over to 1 Peter 4. First Peter 4, I want us to focus on this idea of the righteous judgment of God. So in 12 through 19, just listen to this and focus on it. You may need to read it again later. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial or ordeal when it comes upon you as to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. 
So when these bad things are happening to you, when things are going wrong, know that you're sharing in Christ's suffering. Your life is being aligned to the life of Christ, and it's preparing your heart for what it looks like when Jesus comes back. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of the glory of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glory in God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin in the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? It is time for us to experience the judgment of God. It is time for his judgment to be revealed in our lives. It is time for the suffering, for the trials, for the afflictions to root out sin in our lives. That we might glorify him. It says, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing while doing good. It's, 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 it's happening at the same time. So I go to Jim. Jim, how's your life going? Difficult. It's difficult. I'm ridiculed for being a Christian. I'm ridiculed for, for, for not accepting what I see happening in the culture when I offer a commentary based on biblical truth to a culture that embraces no truth. I find myself ostracized. When, when I struggle in, in this understanding that to give a base articulation of biology and what a woman is or what a man is, biblically, I find myself being attacked. I find myself facing the animus of the culture. I find myself facing possible termination at work. I find myself facing the ostracism of my family because they don't hold the same base convictions I do. It's good that you suffer as a Christian. It's good that God allows these trials and these difficulties to be in your life. But it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel comfortable. It doesn't feel delightful. But look at how Paul goes on. He says, this is the evidence. It's your persecutions. It's your afflictions. Why? That you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. That you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. Now in Ephesians, Paul says it this way, Ephesians 1 and 7. He says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Paul doesn't want us to think and believe that somehow salvation was pretty good, but what it depends upon us to do is to uh, have a commensurate amount of suffering, a commensurate amount of affliction, and all of these things, if we do this well enough, long enough, good enough, somehow we're like, throw open the gates, Peter, here I come. That's not what he's saying. He's saying over the course of our lives, even though we are saved by faith, made holy by faith, righteous, redeemed, justified by faith in God, in the middle of these things, God is changing who we are and how we reflect his glory through the sufferings and the persecutions we endure. This is why Luke can write in Acts 14 and 22. He says that this is what they're doing. They're strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying over and over and over again to all the people coming to faith, they were saying this, that through many tribulations we must enter into the kingdom of God. 
It's through tribulation. It's through trial. It's through difficulty. If you wanted something easy for your life, if you wanted an easy philosophy to follow, Christianity is not the one for you. If you want an easy course of life, if you want a, 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 a vanilla coast, it's fine, I'm okay, you're okay existence, Christianity is not the religion for you. If someone has told you that, if you have come to believe that, you were sold a false bill of goods. I'll see you at the end of the service. We'll process your refund. Hear me on this. It's not an easy road. It's not a road without incident. It's not a road without difficulty. It is a road lined with suffering. It is a road lined with affliction. Paul says it's a necessary road that we may be considered worthy that by many trials and tribulations we might enter into the kingdom of God. What do the trials look like for you today? What tribulations are you enduring? What relational conflict are you enduring because of the name of Jesus? What professional tension has entered into your workplace because of the name of Jesus? Maybe as you think about that, maybe as you begin to answer those questions within your soul, within your heart, what comes to you is the conflict you avoid, the tension you skate around. Because you are careful never to name the name of Jesus where it's going to introduce conflict. You are careful to leave that WWJD bracelet or whatever thing you're wearing now at home when you enter into these places. You are careful now to only talk about news and only talk about reports that resonate with the people around you in your spheres of influence because you don't want to be ostracized, nor, nor do you want to suffer. What does it look like for you? What does it look like for you to name the name of Jesus? Paul describes to them, and he says, it's for these things that you are suffering. See, Paul describes their current reality. These guys, they're not thinking about suffering in this kind of esoteric, it's just kind of out there, it's just kind of remote. They've heard about suffering, they heard about missionaries in the 50s, they heard about these people that, you know, a long time ago they suffered. They know something of suffering because they've read it in a book, seen it in a post, heard some preacher say something about it, but suffering is not close to them, it is not personally identified with them. They live and breathe suffering. This is why Paul's able to speak of it in the present tense and say, for which you are currently suffering. But listen to what Paul said about suffering in Romans 8 and 18. He said, or I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You see, God is moving us in this encounter of suffering that is changing the contours of our heart. He's changing the contours of our heart such that when we endure suffering and difficulty, our immediate response isn't, I gotta change something. I gotta get out of this. I gotta make this better. I can't stay in this. He is changing it to be the heart that when we endure suffering, our heart begins to beat, beat, beat closer to the heartbeat of God. He's because he's changing who we are, he's changing what we value, and by changing what we value, but by more closely aligning our hearts with his, he's helping us to be better reflectors of his glory. He says, It's this suffering that you're presently going through. And so they're thinking to themselves, 
the suffering we're currently going through. It's being sent to jail. The suffering I'm currently going through, it's being whipped. The suffering I'm currently going through, it's having my family broken up. The suffering I'm currently going through, it's not being able to buy food in the marketplace. They knew what the suffering was. They were people marked with Jesus. So what does our present suffering, what does God say to our present suffering? How does he give us encouragement? How does he give us some type of solace in the middle of these things? How does he direct us? Verse 6. He says, you're, you're, you're currently suffering in this way. Why? Since, indeed, God considers it just... It's right, it's true to repay with affliction those who afflict you. Now, you you may hear this and come into this understanding and say, okay, Matt, I'm really confused on how this operates and how this works. I thought I was supposed to love my neighbors myself. I thought I'm supposed to do these things. But what we come to this understanding of is in Deuteronomy 32 and 35, what does God say? He says, vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. Flip over to Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66 in verse 6. It says, The sound of an uproar from the city, a sound from the temple, the sound of the Lord rendering recompense to his enemies. The affliction you face today will not go unaddressed. The affliction you face today as a result of what it is to be a Christian will not go unaddressed. It will not go unsettled. God is going to reconcile accounts. And so the hurt you feel, the pain you endure, or maybe you look at it this way and you think, the pain I avoid, I just, I just, can't, I just can't allow this to happen because I, it just really hurts me. It just, I just really struggle with this understanding that bad people are going to get away with it. Friends, that is the way of the world. That in this life, bad people get away with things. And good people suffer. If you live long enough, that's your experience. Some of us suffer things because we've done bad things. Some of us suffer things because we're doing good and righteous things. And God is allowing and, and using that suffering to mold and shape our hearts to be closer to his. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. God will recompense his enemies. How does it feel to you? The creator God of the universe, he looks out and he sees Doug. He looks out and he sees Cole. He looks out and he sees Carrie. He looks out and he sees Joel. And he sees the difficulties you're going through. And he sees all the people who afflict you and all the things they say about you. And and this is a scary thing. He sees all the mean things they think about you. And he will afflict them with the afflictions they pour out on you today. Now, there's a way to see this in a way that, that, that God does not delight in seeing our hearts turn and say, oh, I can't wait. Look, I'm so excited. Afflict me more because it's coming to you. Like we are this child running and saying, Mom, look what he did. And you just what you want your mom to do in that moment isn't to say, now, Billy, you want your mom to grab the big spoon right? Or you want your mom to say, you wait till dad gets home. He's going to have his way with you. you go, yes. Mom gives sissy spankings. Dad make you walk with a limp. 
that's not what he wants our heart to be. And I believe that's why in, in next week's he tells us the end for the unbeliever. Listen, our heart should not be, I, I delight in their affliction. What Paul wants us to know is that God is just. That those things we dole out, we give an answer for, believer and unbeliever. And so while he is going to bring affliction on those who afflict you, there comes a future time as well that he will grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. He will grant relief. Flip over to Psalm 13. Psalm 13. See, it's one thing to be stuck in this understanding that, okay, there's coming a time when he's going to grant relief. But what do I do in the meantime? It's completely appropriate. It's completely appropriate to cry out to the Lord and to say, please bring this affliction to an end. It's completely appropriate to play, please bring this affliction to an end. For many of us, it's appropriate to pray and say, God, what part of this affliction could be happening as a result of my sin? Is there something sinful I'm doing? Is there a way in which I'm living? Is there a way in which my faith is anemic? What are you trying to show me in this? But there's also this pattern from David, and, and this is just one of those examples. In Psalm 13, 1 and 2, he cries out and he says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel of my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Do you hear his cry? Do you hear his cry? Do you see something of your life in the cry of the psalmist? That in the experience of difficulty, in the experience of suffering, any length of time feels too long. Any length of suffering, any length of affliction feels too long. But there's something within our context of Christianity and our understanding that leads some of us to a conclusion that if I complain, God is disarmed. Listen, in your complaint, you're being dis- in your complaint, you're not being dishonest or dishonoring to the Lord. That's not what he's doing there in Psalm 13, 1 and 2. What he's doing is saying, I can't do this. This is too hard. I feel like you don't care. Do you notice when he says, I take counsel in my own soul? Essentially what he's saying is, I don't hear from you. So you might say, Things are miserable. My family doesn't get me. My friends don't get me. I read the Bible. I get no response. I pray. I hear nothing. This is what he's talking about. This is what he addresses. It would be unfaithful of you in the middle of those things to paint a smile on your face and say, things are just so great. I just love the I mean, this just feels fake, right? And it looks fake. God wants to see a true reflection of your heart. That in the middle of suffering, and sometimes in suffering, what God does is he doesn't withdraw from us, but he's giving us a greater opportunity with greater diligence to press into him. And sometimes that feels like withdrawal. And sometimes that feels like abandonment. You're suffering now. You're experiencing the difficulty. Paul gives to you the encouragement that all this suffering feels 
unbearable, but when compared to the weight of glory, it is endurable. We are able to endure in the midst of these things. We give articulation from David in the Psalms to be able to cry out and just say, how much longer? Both of those things are true at the same time. We have to be able to hold this level of cognitive dissonance to find things that seem to be logical opposites and hold both of those in tension at the same time because both of them have the possibility for being true in your life simultaneously. What does it look like for you to suffer? Paul goes on, and in the middle of our suffering, Romans 8, 35 through 39 He's describing suffering, he's describing difficulty, and, and, and just kind of this idea of how long and what are the limits and, and what's it going to do to me and how's it going to affect my relationship with the Lord. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Shall death? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? In your suffering, you would never be removed from the hand of God and the heart of Jesus, held fast there by the power of his spirit, even though now you face affliction. There's coming a day that he grants relief. Now listen, the relief that he's talking about here is in the culmination of all things. And he writes this in this way, and Paul asks us to set our hearts on it in this way so that we don't go from episodic to relief to periods of affliction to episodic relief and find ourselves elated and disappointed. Now, that's the experience of life. Y'all, I hurt my foot two or three days ago, and that thing is just throbbing. But give me a couple of weeks, it'll be fine, and I'll do something else. Periods of affliction and relief. Periods of affliction and relief. The final full relief is this. Jesus Christ is coming again. That's where our hope is. Our hope doesn't rise and fall every four years or with every whim and decision of the Supreme Court. Our hope rests finally fully settled, unchanging, because Jesus Christ is coming back. He's going to grant us relief, all those who are afflicted. He's going to do this when? When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. A better way of rendering this is God is going to display his might through angels. He's going to show up, peel back the heaven, and descend on the earth with these angels. And he's going to do it, starting in verse 8, he says, in flaming fire. There's this understanding that, that, that enters into our minds of what Jesus must look like and how God must operate and how these things must be. And too often, how we see him is just kind of, it's just kind of neat, just kind of passive, slightly effeminate in this understanding. But what does he say here? He says he's going to come in flaming fire. Psalm 97.3 says, Fire goes before him and burns up all his adversaries all around. 
When we find ourselves back in Isaiah 66, but this time in verse 15, he says, For behold, the Lord will come in fire in his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger and fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. We await a fiery king to set things right, to bring his justice on the earth, to bring an end to all affliction, and to set all things aright. We wait the man Jesus. I want to end with this picture that John gives us in Revelation 1. Starting in verse 12, he says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe with a golden sash around his chest, with hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. He's coming in judgment. He's coming in vengeance. His message to the church is, wait for my release. Wait for my deliverance. All suffering, all suffering is difficult. But can I tell you today that your suffering is not purposeless? That God has real purpose for you in your suffering? That God has real purpose for you in the fractures in your marriage. That God has real purpose for you in your struggles with addiction. That God has real purpose for you in your pain. That God has real purpose for you in your sickness. Your suffering is not purposeless. In your suffering, know this, that, that Jesus has not abandoned you because this Jesus knows what it is to suffer. He embraced suffering. He took on the cross. He took on rejection of his creation. He endured suffering and shame that he might bring you to God. He knows something of your suffering. And in knowing something of your suffering, of your heartache, of your pain, of your struggles with depression, in knowing something of these things, he invites you to come to him. Will you come to Jesus, who looks at your suffering, who cries over your suffering, whose heart breaks over your, your discomfort, your affliction? Will you come and be made whole in this Jesus? Lastly, we see that we are to entrust ourselves to God and to hope for the return of his son. I hope you can hear today. I hope you can reflect today. I hope that you are able in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your crisis of faith, your doubts and disappointments, to hear this word from the Lord. God loves you. He sent his son to endure pain sin and the cross on your behalf and in the death and resurrection of jesus he overcame the penalty and the punishment for sin and death for all time he wants you to have an experience of his love he wants you to have an experience of his comfort that even in the midst of life crushing suffering there is hope in him there is joy in him and there is a future secure evermore. Would you pray with me? Father, you are good and do good.
we find ourselves suffering, some of us, as a result of our own waywardness, our sinfulness. And then in those cases, you're allowing consequences to drive us back to you. Some of us are enduring suffering now as a result of standing for you. The enemy wants us to ask the question, is it really worth it? Wants us to hear the words of Job's wife, why don't you just curse God and die? God, I pray that we would entrust ourselves to you in all things. You will recompense, you will pay back afflictions on those who afflict us. God, you will grant to us rest and you will rescue us from the pain and difficulties of this world through the coming of your son. Father, we want to pray for any in this room or in this hearing who do not know your son, Jesus. God, that maybe today they've looked at the suffering and the pain and the difficulties of their life as something that they had to weather alone, something they had to overcome, so that they could come to you. The salvation is free to all. You bid all to come to you. So, Father, I pray that today that they would find in Jesus one who bids them to come and to be made whole, to come and to have their sins forgiven. And Father, I pray for the Christians in this hearing. We are encountering the ravages, the difficulties of life, and we feel like giving up. For honest, some days it's just not enough for us that Jesus is coming back because we hurt today. So God, would you give those of us who that's the truth that we're living in, the freedom to cry out, how long, O oh Lord, will you forgive me forever? God, would you burden our hearts for one another? Would you help us to move forward in compassion and love for one another? And would you undergird us in all things by the power of your spirit? God, we ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.